get our Pro Tools going. <laughs> Sorry. Uh, I need to mute that. Um, okay. First time using Pro Tools? Yeah. Yeah, dude. Yeah. We're, uh, we're FL. We do our podcast on the FL Studio most of the time. Oh, yeah. That's, Sometimes that's perfect. Sometimes um, Audacity. <laughs> dude, yeah. I used... I, I, Audacity was my second DAW. My first one was Cool Edit Pro. Mm. You know about Cool Edit Pro? No, I do not. That, I think that's that might be before my years. Yeah, probably. This is <laughs> this is the time where we make fun of my age. <laughs> cool Edit Pro was was that like a Windows thing? I'm sure it was Windows. <laughs> that's such a crazy <laughs> before name. Before Macs were like, it's the Pro at the cool, end. Like, yeah, exactly. Cool. You could have Cool Edit. But then that'd be unprofessional. So if they put pro at the end of it. Right. Yeah. Not all that cool as it turns out. <laughs> I, I had a garage band know. for a while. I had this thing called Band Lab. You guys. On my phone. Oh, I know Band Lab. I had Band Lab, and actually, me and my girlfriend the other day went, like, found my Band Lab, and I logged back in, and I found, like, all of these recordings I did when I was like 16 years old <laughs> and they were probably, yeah. they were the worst things like <laughs> like I was writing songs and it's like the whole time it's just like what am I talking about like it's, it's so bad just absolute just anxiety words just all put together um so funny I guess we should start with a like an like a formal intro um our first do it, our do first it. guest of the whole podcast on on the landmark episode number 10 um oh my god no no better person to to be our first guest than the mix mommy himself herself <laughs> uh herself <laughs> matt matthew huber any sound effect mix mommy himself <laughs> welcome uh, i'm glad to be here i'm very honored to be here yeah of course uh, Matt is a mix engineer now in LA, formerly in Nashville. Uh, Matt is also pretty much the architect of my career, as Ooh, we have talked about. What so, a title. <laughs> um, With the power to build or tear right. down. I have to be very careful what <laughs> I, I say lord, here. I will lord that power <laughs> over you. <laughs> um, yes. Uh, yeah, no better person. Very excited to have you. Um, now I don't know if you listen to the podcast at all, but we, your name probably gets brought up every episode at That's, least yeah. at some Aww, point. At least. I'm, I'm it happens honored. very naturally. I mean, because because we are talking a lot about like kind of how we started, and so mm -hmm. and obviously you mm -hmm. have like been a huge part of how I've started. So, um, well, that makes me very happy. The like three people who consistently listen very much already know who you are. Um, so well, it's nice to meet everybody. <laughs> all eight of you. <laughs> um, exactly. All eight million. Ex yes. Because this is a huge success. I believe. I believe it'll happen. Be a smash hit. You can quit your day job and just be a podcaster. Oh yeah, yeah. Forget mixing. Forget music. You could stop making music and just talk about music. That's what a lot. That's, that's what I what feel like everybody do. on TikTok. <laughs> There's no way like these TikTok engineers have the time to mix and engineer and still create all the content that they do. Right. Like, 
just doesn't yeah, make any sense. It's true. It's a little unfortunate. Some of the stuff that you see on TikTok is just hilarious. I'm just like, oh, yeah. gosh. Oh. It's the wars. The wars that get started on that app where, like, an innocent, like, young, like, 18-year-old engineer will, like, find this idea of, like, some sort of recording technique or some hack and logic and he'll say it mm-hmm. and post a video about it and be super excited. And then, like, every single TikTok, like, engineer who's pretentious stitches it and just absolutely just tears oh, it yeah. apart. Like, <laughs> Craig Bauer does that. <laughs> Greasy Will. Uh, I don't know who Greasy Will is. He's just a, a TikTok engineer. He's just always on TikTok talking <laughs> about go. engineering. I didn't. I didn't know Craig was on. Uh, was on. TikTok. I guess he's more on Instagram. But like, if you if you give any mixed tip on Instagram and Craig Bauer sees it, you're done. You're done. <laughs> I'll keep yeah, that in mind. Just be, be very careful. Don't talk about fifty sevens or oh, yeah, he, seven SM sevens. SM sevens. Craig Bauer. Um. Well, I don't have it. Right, that's right. You're in the clear. I'm. I'm in. I'm in. Uh, yeah, I'm in the clear. <laughs> um, well, I think we have like a couple things we wanted to hit with you. Um, how have you been? How yeah. You been? First, first question. How have you been? How's LA? Been great. LA's been awesome. We moved out here two months ago, or something like that. I said three months, and I got corrected. So I think it's somewhere in the two month range. Right. But it's been awesome. I mean, we moved out here and. You know, it was like every other move. I I am a fool, and I'm always like, all right, I'm gonna like, I always take off the least amount of time possible because I'm like, I gotta get back right. to work, which is always a terrible idea because moving's always harder than you think it's gonna be, and setting up the studio always takes longer than mm-hmm. you think it will. And uh, but anyway, yeah. So literally, just took two weeks off and got right back to work. But it's been good. I mean, I like you know, I'm set up. Uh, Set, my, my studio is mostly set up and it's been you know it's not the it doesn't look as good as my the previous space I was in but I've been very surprised that I think it sounds every bit as good maybe even in some ways it's got some advantages in it sonically so I'm wow, a happy that's man that's great so work work has been great we love LA and we're excited about all that stuff yeah, that's Grow, growing up in the LA industry. Yeah. Well, I guess that's, I mean, that's a great segue to like one question we wanted to ask is we have done one episode that was kind of talked about, like, should you be in a music city? Um, talked a lot about Nashville, a little bit of LA. Um, so what, like, how is your experience? Well, so you moved from Arkansas to Nashville and then mm-hmm. you've done Nashville to LA now. Mm-hmm. I'm like curious if you have thoughts on how, all of those different places have been good and or bad for you and your career. Well, I'll, I'll say this. Um, I think technically you can build a career anywhere, mm-hmm. uh, but I think you have to realize that like, if, you're, if I were to just have stayed in Little Rock, Arkansas, with all of the motivation and skill in the world available to me, um, there would be, you know, 20 other guys that had the same skill level and drive as I did, but decided to move to a music city. And they're the people that are going to be getting the gigs that I wanted because they're hanging out with, you know, these producers or artists at a, you know, a bar or a a cookout Mm -hmm. or whatever. And it's just, you just naturally tend to meet more people in a music city, obviously who do what you do and you have got a greater support system. But um, 
I think like, yeah, you can do it anywhere, but if you're really serious about it and you really want to grow the thing and you really want to convey a sense of seriousness, then I think moving to Music City is uh, almost essential. Yeah. Um, and uh, so that's kind of my take on it. I mean, there's a lot that went in it for me, but I'll even, even looking back on it, like I made the move to Nashville and, uh, you know, we, we made the, the move to LA and... Uh, in both of those cases, I look back and I thought, man, I, knowing what I know now, I wish I would have moved a long right. time ago. Mm. Like it would have totally changed everything and would have just, you know, just given a jump start uh, on things. And so I think the Music City thing, if you're serious about it, I think you can't move fast mm. enough. Mm. Like do it, surround yourself with people who are doing what you do and uh, who are making music. And you're going to find yourself you know, growing in a lot of ways that you would not have grown otherwise, whether it be relationally, skill set, just from being around people that are better and more experienced or differently experienced than you. Um, and like, I always think of it like, you know, the in a lot of ways, our um, careers are built on a lot of luck. <laughs> so it seems yep. a lot of chance meetings, but it's like, moving to a music city just increases your probability exponentially. Yeah. And so, I mean, it's crazy. What's, you know, it's like, yeah, that's my What's thought. been the biggest difference of like mu the culture surrounding the music that you're mixing uh, in Nashville and LA? Like what's been, is, has there been any difference maybe like in work ethic or I don't know, just the people you're I think surrounded the, by? Um, well, you know, I'm, I'm really, really still getting to know LA. Um, we've only been here for a couple months. So a lot of it's just kind of first impressions. I think, um, something just from talking to people who do the LA Nashville thing back and forth a lot, uh, I do hear that, um, the songwriting culture is very different, you know, in Nashville, people are in the room by, you know, 10 o'clock hmm. and they're clocking out before dinner right to spend time with their friends or family or whatever is kind of the general frame here. Things don't start until one o'clock <laughs> and, you know, often go a lot later in Nashville. I've noticed it's, there's a lot of priority on the story mm -hmm. um, in, in songwriting. The story is paramount. And I think a lot of that comes from just the tradition of country yep. music writing. And so it kind of bleeds its way into other genres as well. And so I know I talked to a lot of writers here who are like, yeah, who point out Nashville pulls out a very different song in them than an LA mm, would. So, yeah. I mean, they're just, they're, they're complementary cities in a lot of ways. I think to some extent, um, you know, uh, Nashville's definitely not just a country music yeah. city anymore, but um, it's definitely still, it the country, country music, and it seems to influence everything in some yeah. way. And you're never, it's never not going to be a country music city at its core. And so I think in some ways, uh, Nashville can be a little bit more, I've noticed feels a little bit more of uh, like a mm -hmm. bubble um, because of just, uh, it, I don't know, it's just, it's kind of its own world. Whereas uh, LA is a little less like that it's more kind of open-ended anything goes type of a mindset. Um, and so they're different in that way. Um, but 
I would also say that here, you know, I think people in Nashville are very serious about what they do. Here, people are also extremely serious about what they do, but it's definitely a bit more aggressive here mm -hmm. in a lot of ways. Um, not necessarily in a negative way, but just in a, the, it's like the intensity is notched up right. a few levels. Yeah. And so I remember, you know, the first few conversations I had here with, um, you know, label folk or, um, you know, A&R, whatever, managers, what, any, anybody that's doing it um, on a, you know, really professional level. I, I was on the phone on the phone or in meetings and I was just like, oh, I've got some catching up to do. <laughs> I was like this, it was like trying to grab onto a car as it's driving yeah. by at, you know, 50 miles an hour. You're going from a standstill to trying to catch right. up. So it's kind of what it felt like. The pace is definitely a lot higher here. Yeah, I, I remember for sure. Uh, a while ago, I heard someone say about that the, one of the worst things about Nashville is the low cost of entry. And my initial reaction to that was, like, uh, I feel like that's one of the best things. It gets, it gets, it's accessible. It allows people to start a career. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, it's it's more opportunity, and I think along with that, become along with that comes maybe more of a community based industry. Mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. As I've been here longer, I, I've I've kind of come around to understanding um, what, what like the downfalls of a low cost of entry with um, it's easier to survive here, I think, than it is like in LA. I mean, everything is so expensive and so in, in such a hustle city from what I understand, like mm -hmm. that you really have to be both like good and very serious and competent to even just like stay in LA, I feel like. So um, Absolutely. Yeah, I'm, I'm curious. I'm curious about the relationship between, like, low cost, like the cost of entry, along with quality and also community, and if it's a trade off. Mm -hmm. Yeah, you know, I think that was one of the things when I moved here was kind of one of the things that I was expecting was like, oh, it's going to be really hard to make friends here or find community and. I don't think that's entirely true. I mean, I think very quickly we've met some really wonderful, genuine, sincere, grounded people um, that are very serious about what they do, but also very serious about being surrounded by people that, that they love. And so I think it's, it really just depends on who you're around and what, what crowd you're running with. I think it's very similar to, to other cities. Um, so I think like the community side of things I think it's easier to have, like, like uh, practically easier to have community in a place like Nashville because it's easier to get right. around, you know, all of that kind of stuff. People have larger yards, <laughs> right. you know, like just very practical things, larger yards, larger houses. Um, but, but no, I think it's, I think it's actually pretty similar. Um, I think, and I've noticed this, like, it's kind of different depending on what part of the where you are in like your career arc. You know, kind of when you're first getting in, there's a lot of like it tends to breed a lot of um, kind of a competitive mindset mm -hmm. and a hustle. Like you know, got to out hustle everyone, and kind of feels like a zero sum game where it's like if they get something, that means I'm not getting it, and and um, there's a lot of insecurity there. 
I think on that end of things, community becomes a little bit more difficult to build, or it felt like that for me when I was in that stage. But I feel like once you get into, like, well, one thing I've noticed in kind of that stage, and not all people in that in that part of their arc are like that. People such as yourselves are like very generous, open, kind. Um, but well, thank you. It can be easier. Yeah, I mean, easier to be have that mentality of like very protective mentality. Whereas I feel like, and I noticed this both both in LA and Nashville, like once you kind of get into the working professional kind of zone, people are a lot more, like they're very serious about what they do, but they're generally pretty generous and open and not trying to like control everything and keep everything for themselves. And so I've felt that to be the same when I moved here, like people I've met who are just working, you know, got an established career are very open and very kind and it's been great yeah. in that regard but I, do, I am very interested in what you're saying about the like low cost entry mm-hmm. thing um, and I've I noticed that I've seen it in, I've seen that like Arkansas right. Nashville it's like kind of stepped right. up Arkansas Nashville Los Angeles and Arkansas it was like nobody was a full-time, almost nobody was a full-time musician right. because they're like, oh, you know, I've just got my job. And I, it was more or less viewed about a ho- like a hobby. So it was like pulling teeth to get anybody to pay for me, pay right. anything for a mix yeah. or hire a producer or whatever. But then you get to Nashville, it's like people view it as an investment to their right. career. So they're very willing to pay for it. And you see that even more in L- a little bit more. Well, it's just, I think, cost of living's higher. Right. So rates are right. higher here. So... There's that thing, but I think like the music city thing, kind of going back to the moving to the music city thing forces you into a mindset of like do or die, which I think is really, really yeah. good. And uh, it makes what you're pursuing a costly thing. And I think that's a good thing. Like I think um, it's r- extremely rare for a good thing to not be costly. It's yeah. kind of like a law right. of our world. It's like good things have a cost. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, I think that's a good thing. And I, and you know, I think like when it's like a low cost, low risk, whatever, you got a lot of, you've got, you, you tend to have a lot of people who will just kind of stay in this entry level place and never go anywhere right. because um, they never feel the pressure to get serious and no one really feels has the courage to tell them like, Hey, you're actually not great at this and maybe you should do something else. (laughs) But when it's costly, those, you can't avoid those realities. Yeah. So, yeah. Well, I don't want to like ride the music city wave too long, but I am, I do have like one more thought. Um, and this is kind of a selfish thought because I have been thinking about what music city being in different music cities mean for me. Um, with, like potential for moving somewhere on the horizon in the next year. Um, so in me thinking about potentially going out to LA, um, I think one of my insecurities with that is trying to, um, figure out like, am I, am I far along enough Mm. that I can do this and it would make sense or would I just step in and fail? Like, um, and I know that is like an insecurity and kind of what you're saying um, you know, it, 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 it will be good for you regardless. Um, mm-hmm. but I am curious if you have any thoughts on, um, 
is there any truth to, is there any point where it might be too early to step into a big city or like, like LA? Is it like, mm-hmm. is there a point that it would be too, too early to move from, you know, like Little Rock to Nashville or for me, like Nashville to LA? You kind of hit on it already, but. Yeah, I think like, I think Nashville's a pretty easy move. Yeah. Like if you're coming from a smaller town, it probably seems intimidating, like even cost of living, but it's like, you very quickly realize like if you're making any money doing music stuff, you're going to be making a lot more doing it in Nashville because people are just going to pay right. more. And so your cost of living will be offset and you're just going to find a way to make it work. I think in a lot of ways, LA is, is similar. Um, and I, I think like, I think as long as you've got the ingredient, like the right ingredients, um, you can succeed here uh, and you can ex- succeed anywhere. Like, I think about, like, I know you very well, Tanner, and I know you're a very hard wow. worker that you, if you don't know something, you're going to learn it and you're going to learn it thoroughly. Uh, and you don't send things out that you're not proud of and, and feel really good about. And you're so easy to be around. Wow. You're very responsible. Keep it, keep you're a self-starter. Up. This is great. <laughs> and so it's like, I think someone like you, you're going to succeed wherever you go. So I wouldn't worry about it. Like, uh, People like you, people like that are in very short supply in any city. Most people are just irresponsible. They don't answer their calls, emails, texts. They're late on everything. And so, um, you know, it could be that, you know, if you're moving to, uh, to like a bigger city, you might have to be okay with like, maybe I'm going to be someone's assistant for a while as opposed to being my own thing or, you know, you you or you might be able to just get going and start getting great gigs but i mean i know people that moved here with nothing and found a way to be the guy who the runner for a, a great producer out here and then spent years learning under that producer and then built a career for their own you know like there is a path and so i think if you're serious about it and you've actually got talent and the at work ethic and the responsibility to support that talent then I say just do it as soon as you possibly yeah, can. That makes sense. And you know, people find a way to make it work. Like if you can't afford a place, find four other people to share the place <laughs> right. with and it'll be yeah. fine. You know what I mean? Who cares? Yeah, I mean, you touched on just like qualities of somebody who you think will succeed like anywhere that they are, you know, just talking about Tanner. What are qualities like <laughs> in choosing somebody that you would mentor or choosing somebody to just be around musically, like what are the qualities that you think set people apart in this industry? Or like, what do you look for mm. if you were going to hire somebody? Or When Henry said he wanted to ask you that question, I had to emphasize, I'm like, I can't ask that because that, because me asking that is basically like, what did you, what were great things? What's great about me? What's great about me that, that let you well, keep me I'll around? I'll answer it in the general sense. <laughs> <laughs> so for me, I think the very first thing is um, if I if someone reaches out to me and I feel like underneath that there are ulterior motives, uh, that's an immediate like turn off. Like um, everybody's, I guess that's kind of a weird way to say that. Um, everybody, if we're honest, has ulterior right. motives in just about every mm-hmm. relationship. And so um, I think it's just kind of built in to some extent. But uh, 
I guess it's like when someone comes to me and they like talk about themselves a lot or talk about what they're doing a lot or what they're good at a lot. Like, I just never want to be around them again. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, you know, like the, I think about the people who I know who are most successful in the industry. Like, they don't talk about the fact that they just hung out with, uh, I don't know, some just gigantic right. artists and they just wrote with some gigantic artists. Like, you'd have to like dig that out of them. They're not going to talk about it. And so I think like that is that like a humility is like number one mm -hmm. for me. Like, cause if you're not humble, you're not teachable. And if you're not teachable, then there's no point in even having, you know, especially if you're talking about like a mentorship right. type a relationship, there's no point in even having that relationship. Um, so I guess like, can you ask the question again? Like, were you saying? Yeah. Like, uh, I just want to make sure I'm answering it correctly. I guess the core of the question is what, what are the important things that set young, eager, mixing engineers, musicians mm. apart from their peers, I suppose. Yeah. Okay. So humility, never talk about yourself. Mm -hmm. Never be anxious to tell people who you are and what you do and what you've done. Like, um, no one really cares, first of all. Second <laughs> of all, like, it's just a huge turnoff for most people. Um, I think uh, kind of what we were talking about earlier, like, it's just the simple nuts and bolts of being a responsible person that are so often overlooked. Uh, like, you know, just your simple stuff. Are you easy to get a hold of? Do you, I mean, like, it, when you communicate, are you clear and are you communicating like an adult or you come across as like, you know, just kind of a dummy, right. <laughs> you know, like the, those things are really important. Like, are you on time? If like, yeah, like if I have a coffee meeting with someone who reach, you know, we, maybe we become friends on Instagram, they reach out to me on Instagram and we're like, oh, we live in the same city now, let's get coffee. If they're like 10 minutes late to my coffee, to the coffee meeting, like, I don't know what it is. I just don't want to hang out with them again because <laughs> I'm like, they don't respect my time. If they can't be on time, then they're probably irresponsible in other areas of their life. So just like, you know, people are going to have these mental shortcuts. If they see cracks anywhere, they're just going to assume that there's a reason for right. that. And so like, yeah, timeliness and responsibility. Um, and yeah, just like a hunger to learn and grow and like a, like a mental, uh, a mentality of like knowing that you can learn anything from anybody that no matter how far you make it down a road, no matter what your credits are, like you still have something you can learn from somebody who just started doing what you're doing six months mm -hmm. ago. You know, there's a, there's a freshness and an innocence in the way they're approaching things that you may have forgotten. You know what I right. mean? So it's like being able to have that mentality of like, I can learn from anybody. Um, and uh, yeah, I don't know. It's all, it's all the very simple yeah, things, it's a good you know answer. what I mean? And, you know, I think the, I think like the skill thing is, a, is just a given, like you have to be good at what you do. But I mean, honestly, there are a lot of people I know who have all of the other things right and are mediocre <laughs> that still have huge success in their career. And so um, it's not good enough to just be the best at what you, the, what you do technically. Like as a mix engineer, it's not, it's, you know, I kind of a good way to illustrate this is like, um, I've, there have been times where 
I've mixed something and, you know, it's like a shoot, maybe not a shootout, but like I've mixed something and I didn't get the gig and it wasn't because, or I didn't get like repeat business mm -hmm. and it wasn't because my mix wasn't good. Everyone was pumped about the mix. It, you know, I would find out later that there was something in the way the, the process worked that maybe made it a little more difficult than working with someone else. Like maybe, uh, you know, they send me the session. And I don't have 15 of the plugins, so I ask them to print a bunch of tracks. Right. Well, they've got this other mix engineer who owns all the plugins, and so they never contact them with anything except a mix one. Right. And you know, so it's just uh, realizing that being the best at what you do is not the only, not the only factor. Mm -hmm. It's only a small part of yeah. it. So, would you say that you'd so. rather, if you were going to hire an assistant engineer, you would rather have somebody? I mean, per best case scenario, you would have somebody who had both technical skills and people skills, but mm -hmm. you would rather have somebody who had very good people skills, was very easy to be around, and might not be as technically proficient as, let's say, another person who was really technically proficient, but they were hard to be around. You would rather have... Oh my gosh, every day. Because <laughs> it's like a lot of... At some point, it's kind of hard to learn, hard to relearn all those bad people yeah. skill habits. But like you can learn how to use Beat Detective in right. twenty minutes. Yeah, you know yeah. what I mean? But undoing a lot lifelong <laughs> bad habits of interacting with people is a little different. Yeah. But yeah, I mean, you know, a lot of what we do can be taught, you know, especially on the assistant side of things. Um, and I mean, I would imagine, correct me if I'm wrong, yeah. Tanner, but I would imagine there were there were some situations when like as you've helped me out with stuff. I'm sure you encountered things that you didn't know how to do, but you just figured right. them out. Yeah. Well, I mean, it's like you just, it's all the, I mean, a lot of what I was doing for you was, I mean, mostly like Pro Tools backend stuff. It's just like the administrative side of Pro Tools of like, I need to know where this function lives and what, how do I need to menu dive and what settings I need to do. And, mm -hmm. um, yeah, I mean, and you did give me that instruction sheet, which was very helpful. But, um, yeah, I looked at it and I was like, Oh, I don't know. Yeah, a, a lot of it I didn't know how it worked. And I was like, I guess right. I'll just do it. Um, and I know I, def I definitely messed it up several times, but eventually I, I you know, okay. yeah, eventually I got a hang of it. And I mean, even those like menial tasks that I did of just like, okay, I'm going to select all of these and then use battery name to do things. And then I'm going to bounce these off the track, but I need to move this here in order to do that. And then these need to be solo bounced. Like that's all stuff. Mm -hmm. That's all stuff that I have been able to incorporate into my own workflows. Um, mm -hmm. because I've, I'd learn, I had to learn how to utilize them and, um, and right. I, mean, I use them every single day and it makes me way more yeah. efficient than I would have ever if I hadn't done that. Yeah, man. But yeah, I mean, yeah, you can, all of that stuff can be taught, especially if someone's teachable and is a quick learner. Like I'd rather have someone who's at the beginning of the process, you know, near the beginning of the process of there, but just has this skill and the ability to learn right. well, like be very teachable, than have to deal with all the other stuff. <laughs> right. You know. Yep. Did you go to school for for music? Did you go to college? I went. I went for marketing. marketing. <laughs> Yeah, which I don't use at all. Yeah, I'm, everybody's like, "Well, yeah, oh well, you market yourself." I'm like, "No, I didn't learn. I didn't pay attention in school." <laughs> uh, I mean, I was always like, 
good at school, but I wasn't like a, I didn't learn a lot, if that makes sense. Like I, you know, you just kind of figure out the cheat codes to like get through, yeah, get through school right. with good grades. Yeah. Like I can memorize that. I can hold this information in my head for one week. <laughs> and then as soon as the test happens, it's like a memory dump and I forget yeah. all of it. But I went, but I just went for, I went for marketing and uh, music was always just a hobby. Yeah. Mm. So that's, at some point, it was just the classic, like, oh, people want to pay me for this. Mm -hmm. And then one thing led to another, and here we are. Well, when we did our uh, Is Education Worth It and pertaining to music, I feel like that was one of the episodes where I personally got the most response of, like, yeah, this was a really great topic to talk about because I'm in school right now, and I don't feel like it's helping me at all. You know, lots of kids at Belmont. Yeah. What's your opinion on going to school for audio engineering, music business, just that whole thing? Well, I'll say this. I think just because I've, I've kind of like seen the things that people who go to Belmont learn, mm -hmm. and there's some valuable stuff there. And, you know, the relationships are huge and all of that. Like, uh, and, you know, spending four years or however many years um, learning how to do things you don't want to do day after day after day changes you as a person mm -hmm. and changes your work ethic. So those things are valuable. Right. But if you're a driven person, you're going to pick that up um, pretty much anywhere. Because if you're working right. at all, you're going to be doing stuff that you don't want to do every single day. Um, and so for me, it's like, I guarantee you, what if when it comes to like what the music industry is actually about, you'll learn more in a month assisting someone than you will in four years of yeah. going to a music school. Yeah. Guarantee I mean, that, yeah, that So I think if you exactly would have, you know, experience. <laughs> literally, I mean, yeah, if, like, uh, I'm sure, I think most people, if, the, if at 18 years old, they would just start, even if it's for free, just like hanging around at someone's studio for, for, you know, a year or whatever, while they work at a coffee shop or something like you're going to save a lot of money yeah. and you're going to learn a lot more. And you're going to move a lot quicker most of the time in your, I mean, everybody's, everybody's story is different. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. You know, some people like I went to so-and-so college, met this person and we made a record that won a Grammy. Right. And you know, it's like, like that stuff happens, but it could also happen just as easily not at right. school. Yeah. Because I, I think since filming that episode or not filming, recording, we, we talked about like, moving to a music city to go to school in a music city, you know? And I think the more I think about it, I think it would be a better idea to just move to a music city and start working, kind of like what you were saying, as opposed to, like, moving and just going to school. Because, like, one of the big topics we talked about were, like, people who weren't really sharp with their skills before coming to college, you know, and thinking that going to Belmont, they're going to learn all the things that they need to learn. And then as soon as the four years are done, like I'm going to go out and I'm going to go get a job at the studio. Like, right. That's I have a just, job waiting for me. Yeah. That just doesn't seem like the model. We kind of got to the point where it was like, if you're going to go to school, you should probably come with some sharp tools and then use school as a jump board, whether it's networking or just being around other musicians, yeah. you know? Yeah. And in my... My kind of summary on, I mean, after, you know, five years now of of considering what education did for me or didn't do, I what I always kind of say now is 
Belmont got me to Nashville and I wouldn't be anywhere near where I am now without being in Nashville. Um, mm-hmm. If I had stayed in Lakeland, I would, I'm sure I'd be doing music, but I wouldn't be doing it as a career, probably, fully. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. I'd be doing it more for fun, which is also valuable. But, um, you know, the, the like dollar value of the like l- actual material I gained at, at Belmont is, is not there, I think. Um, <laughs> right. But the just the opportunity to get here um, and to have a safety net of like, I have a place to live and I have a meal card. And um, yeah, I mean, that stretched me and gave me an opportunity to get here other when I otherwise wouldn't have. Um, so yeah, that's, that's always where I land on that. Like question. Let me ask you this. If somebody came and worked for you, or tried to work for you, and they told you that they went to Belmont or Berkeley or some music school, is there any part of you that would kind of be turned off by that fact? Because I feel like there is a stigma um, around yeah. music schools like that I'm noticing. Yeah, I don't, I, I don't think it would be a turnoff. I just don't think... I think I very much... I think most people will tend to judge each person based on who they are as a person more than like, where'd you go to school? You know what I mean? I guess like, like you're saying, I mean, if I, if I went to Belmont or Berkeley and then I came to you and said, Hey, I really want to work with you. Uh, cause you know, I went to Belmont and I did this and I, and while I was there, I did these things and I know these people and like, just kind of talked about all of that. And that just like you're saying, like, don't, that, that's a turnoff to people is, is like just kind of bragging and, and inflating your, yourself. So, yeah, well, I think the thing for me, though, is like the important thing, the more important thing is like when someone's like, uh, I went to school at Belmont, that literally adds no, that does not give them any points in right. my book. It's <laughs> not that it takes any points away. It's just like, I just don't right. care. Yeah. Like, cool. <laughs> like, it doesn't mean anything yeah. to me at all. And so I think, you know, I just... It's just because I, I I haven't seen those that educate that form of education really translate in a valuable yeah. way. And I think the, um, the a lot of the disconnect with that is, um, you know, when the counselors or the like admissions counselors go to school go to the schools. I mean, when they went to traveled all the way to Florida to go to my school, mm-hmm. when I was in high school. I mean, they kind of sell it as if you go here, this does matter and it will put you ahead of everyone else. Um, mm-hmm. And it makes that seem like a big deal, and it makes it seem like a shortcut um, to mm-hmm. making it it's like a golden right, ticket, making yeah. it in the industry. And it's just not. I mean, literally, literally, like you just said, like you're like, I don't really care. I just, are you good? Are you yeah. nice? <laughs> <laughs> are you good? Or are you not good? So what about that? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> what else did you, you have? Anything else? As far as like business stuff and all the stuff up here, I feel like we covered. And we should talk about some mixing. Oh, yeah, yeah. So um, this works out really great. Last episode that we did was kind of talking about both conceptually and like more practically, like what differentiates like a good mix from a great mix. Um, And we kind of got into like, like at what point does a bad mix cross over into being like an okay, like a just objectively checks all the boxes. It's not a bad mix anymore. And then we talked about, you know, what differentiates 
what extra qualities take something from good to great. Sorry to hit you with such a hard, just left turn. <laughs> hard hitting question there. Yes, yeah, whiplash. Well, I've been thinking about that actually in a lot of ways lately. I think um, the best mix is the mix that conveys the vision of the artist and producer most accurately. Mm. Um, and, you know, I think there is a little bit of wiggle room in there. Sometimes, you know, I've been in situations where I can think of this one where I heard the song and I was like, okay, I could create a better version of the of the rough on this, which is n most of the time what people are looking for is a better version of their rough, 90% mm. of the time. There are times where, you know, you can step into the role of being like a collaborator in the artistic direction of a song. And, you know, there are those, you know, 5% of the time where you can step in and like take a song to a place that not, not even the artist or pr producer thought it would right. go. And, you know, a lot of, you know, that's, that's something that requires permission a lot of times. Like, Hey, I've got this right. thought. You find if I run with it, you know, we can always go a different direction, but there are times um, that, you know, it's, where it can become a more collaborative situation. But in general, like, I think the most important question is like, well, what's the vision on this song? Like, what is, you know, you can get like, uh, I've been in shootout situations, mixed shootout situations where it's like, oh, you hear um, all the different mixes and, you know, I can tell you which one I prefer, but in reality, I think like all of these are a different version of good. And like, you know, like a, a pop guy here in town is going to have a very different definition of what good sounds like than someone in the New York hardcore <laughs> scene. You know right. what I mean? Extremely different mixed values. Um, and, um, and so I think that it's, it's all about the target that, that's being aimed at. And so I think like a great mix in one genre if you took those mentalities and apply it to another genre, you know, it could be, it would be a bad right. mix, you know what I mean? So it's all extremely subjective. There have been times where I've turned in a mix and I couldn't even figure out like, you know, like the, uh, you know, the producer's just like, yeah, that's just not the vibe. Uh, you know, I don't like it. <laughs> I'm like what? And, you know, I listened to it. It's like technically, you know, I was like, technically, I, I really think my mix is technically like a lot better than what, you know, the right. rough, but they prefer the rough. Mm -hmm. You know, this doesn't happen like all the time, but, the, you know, when it happens, I remember yeah. it. <laughs> um, but all that to say, like, a lot of times you have to disconnect from like what is technically good and bad and try to key into emotion and like what, 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 what do you want people to feel when you hear this? And that's been something I've been thinking about a lot lately is like becoming more emotionally engaged with the music that I mix and like moment by moment, like listening to the lyric, listening to the instrumentation and like really getting inside the the head of the artist or the producer and, and thinking like, okay, not like, not what are they trying to accomplish here sonically, but ask the question of like, what are they trying to accomplish here emotionally? Yeah. And I think that pushes you in, in a different, and arguably a more important, better direction than thinking purely technically. So I think the the question of like, what makes a good mix a good mix is the the more I mix, the more the more difficult I find it 
is to answer that yeah. question because I realized that it just depends. Like every single situation is unique. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, you know, even like you could go to the technical direction and be like, well, a mix that has like better separation, more clarity where you can hear what's going on is, uh, you know, punchier and all of those things. It's like some people want literally the exact opposite of all right. of those things. Like they, you know, I've gotten things where it's like it's 150 tracks and they're like, I don't want to hear each individual track. I want it to sound like it's just one right. thing. And I'm like, oh, you mm-hmm. know, so that's a long-winded answer yeah. that never didn't really say anything. So you're well, welcome. Great. We could probably break it down a little bit because you mentioned mix, mix value, mix values, you know, what would you say mm-hmm. your immediate mix values are? That might transcend um, I genres. Think, so I always, I, I would say my, there are things that are that are like my my natural go to, and those things, you know, are my definition of good, and those, and I think I'm I'm always willing. I'm going to preface it by saying I'm always willing to bend those yeah. things depending on what. Um, I can adapt my definition of good to the producer or artist definition of good. But for me, I think I grew up listening to records that sounded expensive. Mm. You know what I mean? Like something that when you listen to it, you think the the budget on this project had to have been in the millions. <laughs> you know what yeah. I mean? Like that's that for me is like when I think of a good mix, I think an expensive mix. And I know that's a pretty vague thing, but it's just like, I think what it is, is like something that you listen to and you think, oh, you know, every step of the process, the, these were all skilled hands that worked on this, people who are very like detail oriented. And so that's kind of the approach that I take in a mixing is I like, I think in a very detailed way and I like deep diving. I like things sounding very, you know, like I just I love the 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 pop sound, mm. big, um, expansive, deep, uh, immersive. Not necessarily in the right. Atmos sense, <laughs> but immersive and engaging. You know, I want the lows to feel really low and really punchy, and I want the highs to feel smooth and sparkly. You know, yeah. all those sorts yeah. of things. I love separation, a, like a glued separation. Mm. Um, I don't know. Those those are kind of my my mixed values, um, and um, and also the mix. One big mixed value for me is making sure that every moment has its priorities. Um, like every moment of the song, I can answer the question of what's most important in this moment, and that I'm actively highlighting the thing that's most important, drawing people's ears and attention to the thing that's most impactful and most important in every single mo- moment. And so it's just, it's all about being very a very active listener to the music that you're working with. Um, and so, you know, you want, you want to bring people along on a journey, not just present like a static, you know, presentation right. to people. Yeah. And so that's kind of my answer to that. That's, that a, that's a great deal. answer. Yeah, that's a <laughs> I great think answer. it was, it's vague enough to not sound like dogmatic. <laughs> but also, yeah. it, uh, it hits on some points. No, yeah, that's that's definitely great. Well, I at this point, I'm like so, I'll be dogmatic about some things, but 
by and large, I'm pretty relaxed on that side of yeah. things because I've just been so wrong about right. so many things. I remember like a couple years ago, I was like, I will... N- I will never use multi-band compression on the mix bus. That's stupid. Why would you do that? You're shooting yourself in the foot. And now I'm just like, sure. <laughs> like maybe you've got like three multi-band compressors <laughs> on the mix bus. I mean, does it sound good? Who right. cares? Like I've got a couple mix engineer friends where my favorite question to ask them when I'm like kind of stuck, I'm like, what's the worst idea you've had lately that's worked? Yeah. Like the thing that you shouldn't do. And I get the best ideas that way and so like i get real frustrated if you're talking about being dogmatic i'm dogmatic about not being dogmatic about mixing (laughs) audio you know what i mean like i think it's great to know i think it's great to know the rules so you can break them intelligently Mm -hmm. you know what i mean and sometimes i mean you don't have to necessarily break them intelligently a lot of people do the exact wrong thing and accidentally stumble upon something really cool, and that's really valuable. But I think knowing the rules is great, um, but being willing to break and bend any one of them is awesome. I think the people who are like, you should never do so-and-so, I just, I'm not into that. And and we're all probably thinking of names that we shouldn't (laughs) say out loud. (laughs) Don't want to burn any bridges, but it's just like, I just don't get the point in that. There's not one way to a good mix. Yeah, and I think that that's something that I think is amplified in social media. Um, mm-hmm. Just and especially like we were talking about before, like just kind of like the content pushers who are spending more time on you know content than actually doing the work. Mm-hmm. Um, and I know like like I've tried to start doing more things like that, and and to an extent that's that's kind of what we're doing with like this podcast. But like starting out, we wanted to say like don't like take everything with the grain of salt this is what we have learned from our short experience and these are things that we've tried maybe you should try them out but like try not to say this is how it should be and this is you should you should always do this and i mean the amount of times the amount of um like graphics i've seen on instagram that are like here's a great eq preset for vocals for a male vocal (laughs) um yeah or like i mean i remember even learning at belmont we were um in a like an eq class or something like you've probably seen this it's this old school like 2000s chart and it and it's like it's like word spheres like microsoft like old microsoft art yeah yeah yeah. and it's like spheres of like here's where the kick is and the bass and then like Mm-hmm. DGVs need to be up and over here, but and then when and, but your saxophone needs to be right in the middle. <laughs> like, <laughs> oh yeah, the saxophone that's very important. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I think that's, I think that's something that um, is really dangerous about social media um, right now, and I think it can be really overstimulated and, and confusing for um, like a young engineer who's trying to mm-hmm. figure things out and maybe. Just wanting to become more professional, trying to si- find their sound and, and practice their craft and get better at it. But, you know, you're on Instagram and TikTok all day and everybody has a different opinion and everybody is very dogmatic about it. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, it can. I feel like it can be really difficult to to weed through I mean, all I remember that. feeling. I remember feeling that way, you know, eight years ago when I was like learning on just YouTube 
and the pace of information there is so much lower. <laughs> right. I've, but I felt overwhelmed even then. I'm like, wait, what's right? Because these two people just said the exact opposite <laughs> thing. Right. It's hard, like, music is such a sandbox, you know? Like, you can you can really just do whatever you want. And I really like what you said of, like, it's really good to be aware of the rules and know the rules and know what the right thing to do is, but it's also equally as important to, like, be okay with bending and breaking rules. Like, that's such a great mm-hmm. point. Yeah. I mean, these days when you are going to mix for an artist... Um, I'm trying to figure out how to word this question in a way that makes sense. Do you prefer starting a mix where an artist left off, like maybe just working out of their Pro Tools session that they send you, or would you rather just have the rough, have maybe a few elements of the song that are like maybe a reverb throw or a delay throw that it like needs to be in there and then just starting on your own? Where are you at these days? I always want to start exactly where people left off every single time. In fact, a lot of times, if I get it in and it's like way far away from, like I pull up the rough and I'm like, look, these are two different songs. Mm-hmm. I won't, I won't even start. I'll throw it back to him and be like, I need it this way. And I'll always tell people, like, I always tell them what I what I expect. But every now and again, you've got someone who doesn't, you know, I don't know, doesn't listen or doesn't read or something. Right. <laughs> so it happens, you know, every once in a while. But I always want to start where they left off because it's like, I mean, you know really in every step of the process now like the lines are so blurred like a uh you know a writer is also a producer a producer is also a mix engineer right. a mix engineer is also doing a lot of mastering mm-hmm. and uh and then i guess uh yeah what else are mastering engineers doing nothing <laughs> anyway I don't, uh, mastering engineers are are more and more doing nothing i think or or like or at least yeah, maybe, maybe so doing less yeah doing less, definitely yeah. doing less or i mean which is a, a great cases, thing no, for mastering. <laughs> well, yeah i mean great time to yeah, i mean i think the overall purpose of mastering is like quality control and that's that's mm-hmm. something that lander can't do <laughs> it's like right absolutely yeah but yeah to kind of answer your question like uh i i kind of view the the producer as like you know, mix engineer A, like they're, they were the first mix engineer and they're passing off to the second mix engineer. So it seems, you know, there are a million decisions. I mean, you guys know when you're producing like in little automation moves or, (coughs) um, you know, the setting of different levels, like all of those things are done emotionally a lot of like primarily emotionally in the moment, but they're done intentionally. And, um, that's a part of the process I'm never going to be a, be able to be a part right. of and see into and understand like nuances in that session. And so if I don't get the session in where you left off, like I'm missing out on a huge chunk of the story of this song. And so I always want to start where the producer left off every single time. I'm even down to, even if they got an insane mix bus, like I want that mix mm-hmm. bus. Might undo some of it or I might not undo it. You know what I mean? So... Um, yeah, every single time starting from where they left off. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I love it that yeah. way. Would you say, would you say as your career has gotten, I guess, as you've progressed in your career, do you find yourself actually doing less moves in a mix than you did when you first started? Like you mentioned the mix bus, right? Like mm-hmm. I feel like if I were to get a, a song to mix and there's the rough and I saw a huge mix bus and my immediate reaction would just be like no I'm just going to make this better and redo the entire mm-hmm. mix bus but you, it sounds like 
if it sounds good, it sounds good to you and you don't really touch it. Like, right. Yeah. I mean, I think it's like a lot of times with, uh, a lot of, cause you know, people produce those mix buses a lot of times. It's like getting a cake and trying to unbake yeah. it. It's like, it's just, ne- yeah. it just does not yeah. work. You know what I mean? And so, <clears throat> so you gotta, a lot of times just gotta run with it. Um, but I feel like in general, I probably, I don't, I think I do just as much, but I think just as many or more moves than I used to do on mixes, but they're smaller yeah, moves, gotcha. if that yeah, makes sense. That makes sense. And so it's just, it's been a lot, become a lot more granular. And there's still songs where it's like a heavy lift, you know, to get it to the finish line. But then there are other songs where uh, I get it and it's literally the last 10%, 5%. Right. And um, and that's a big adjustment, you know, going from a world where you get things in there super rough to getting things in and being like, oh, dang, this actually sounds really, really good. And, you know, you could release this right now and everyone would be like, dang, who mixed mm-hmm. that? You know what I mean? It's a great mix. Um, it's a big adjustment mentally because, you know, when you get started, you uh, you you receive kind you kind of like judge your value based on how much work you did on a song mm. and how much you transformed yeah. it and that that just changes as you go mm. along you know most most really accomplished producers know how to get things to sound great and so um they their expectation of what a mix engineer of a mix engineer's role is very different yeah. you know they sorry i just burped <laughs> Edit that out. Um, We're going to leave it in. Oh, no. (laughs) It's so embarrassing. Uh, But no, like a lot of producers on a higher level will pay full mix rate to get 5% better, and they'll be thrilled. That's such a good point. And so so a lot of times, you know, after I ran into a couple producers like that, where I'd send it back, I'd feel so insecure because I'm like, I mean, it's a little better, and they would be thrilled. And I was like, oh, thank God. And you know, at some point, I just had to ask, like, all right, like, what do you, what's your expectation out of this right. mix? Like, what, what's, what, what is a great mix for you in this song? Has been a really helpful question mm-hmm. to ask. Um, and you'll notice a lot of times too, like, um, I think there's a huge value in in kind of using the rough as like a really, uh, it's a very important guideline of the of the values of a song, um, because. Uh, you know, I notice even on kind of a higher level, a lot of producers are used to getting mixes back and them not actually being better, like actually sounding worse than they're off or took it in a totally different direction. And it's like, this isn't the song Mm -hmm. I sent you, you know what I mean? And so um, really taking the time to really understand what target they're aiming at is hugely important, like we were talking about earlier. But but yeah, kind of just long way of saying like, I the percentage difference is is definitely lower than it used to be because on on especially on songs where particularly on songs where they come in already super dialed right. like it mm. it can only get so right. good yeah <laughs> there's just like there's a ceiling there's a ceiling yeah that's great yeah we i we i had mentioned when we were talking about this before a mix to me can take things up like two letter grades is what i said but if you mm-hmm. get in a song that is already at an A, like you're not, there isn't really that much higher of a grade that you can go. If it's an A minus, you might be able to take it to like an A plus. But mm-hmm. once it gets there, 
you know, you, yeah, that's it. You're not going to, you can't take it up two yep. letter grades if you receive an A. Right. So what's higher than an A? I don't know, an A plus, but that doesn't even matter in college. But at that's least. an A, yeah. Exactly. Are there any songs that have horrible mixes that you love? We we were kind of talking about that. Oh last week, yeah, I interesting. Feel like. Oh, so many yeah, of them. I, that's been <laughs> that's been one of the funnier things to think about. Is like early Coldplay. Yeah. <laughs> that's exactly what Tanner said. It's terrible. Yeah. So bad, but they're like they're like the biggest songs in your head. Yep. You know what I mean? They're massive. Yeah. You hear that snare, and you're like, wait, what? Yeah, I was. That's not I was what just I saying, remember. like going back and listening to like Viva La Vida now. I remember listening when I was younger, and I was like, "This is the most like dramatic, like the largest universe I've felt like listening to a song." It was just blew my mind. But yeah, and I listen back to it now. I'm like, everything feels really just small and like not very separated and kind of dark, mm-hmm. and everything kind of seems like it's com- like competing with each other, and um, and it has like kind of impacted my enjoyment of that record because I'm just thinking about that too much. Yeah, like, That's how I feel about like early John Mayer stuff, like Room for Squares and heavier, especially heavier things are like, it's just weird mixes on both so of those 2000s, records. Very yeah, strange. Yeah, it's just like super mixes. saturated, but in like a weird way. I don't know, dude. Yeah, that's, it's always fun to think about. I think in a weird way, we're like in the 80s all over again where it's like... <laughs> yeah. In the 80s, like, they were just flexing all this new <laughs> technology. And I think we're kind of in the same place right yeah. now. It's like pr- a lot of mixing is, um, it's very maximalist. Yeah. You know what I mean? In terms of just, like, every, I mean, the tools are so incredible now. Like, you have the capability of just getting insane separation, right. insane amount of impact. And it's like, uh, I wonder if the pendulum will like swing Like, right. <laughs> Because, yeah. you know, yeah. I mean, you listen to, like, some 80s records, and then fast forward to the early 90s, and it's like records just started sounding really bad. <laughs> like, they sounded way worse than a lot of 80s records. And it was like, oh, what's happening here? But it's just like people got tired of that sound. Right. So who knows? Yeah, it evolves. Well, uh, yeah, we're, we're entering the, the AI takeover. Yeah. So maybe I won't even be mixing in a couple. In do a you year. have any like? Yeah. Do you seriously you mean thoughts that? on that? Like, um, well, okay. So the thing that I get a little comfort from is I feel like mastering engineering is like the canary in the coal mine for us mix mm-hmm. engineers because it's like once we see AI wipe out mastering, <laughs> we know that we've got we've got a couple years before they can take right. it can take yeah. over uh, mixing. So. I'm just waiting for mastering to be obsolete. And once that happens, I'll start thinking of a plan. Yeah. <laughs> like, I, that's literally the way I'm thinking that's funny. about it. I mean, that's exactly what I meant by the engineers are doing less. It's like, there are like the, it always seems like, I mean, especially for like more our clientele, which are like more on a budget and younger, they're like, well, do we really need mastering? Like, mm-hmm. that's the thing that we can cut, right? It's, it's not as expensive. So it can't, so it's not as important. Um, and it's, mm. I mean, that, couldn't be farther from the truth, like in my opinion. So, right. um, but it is the probably like from the technical, like the number of steps that go into it on the technical side is probably the simplest thing to automate. Um, and I think that's what makes it like so vulnerable. So I, 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 I feel you, ex- I feel exactly the same way of like, man, I think mastering engineer 
is is probably the most endangered, but there are, it would take a lot of work to automate mixing. And a, a phenomenal I, amount I think of work. That, yeah, we, we have a little bit of time. A little bit of time left. Yeah. Yeah, I think so. I mean, yeah, I think of, I can't even imagine how to automate some of the stuff that I find myself doing. You know, it could, because it's so like, like, takes a lot of intuition. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Yeah, I don't know. But I mean, there are some things, I mean, some of the like AI stuff that's going on right now, I wouldn't have imagined. Yeah. You know, was yep. possible. So it's like, meh. Well, yeah. I guess we'll see. I guess so. <laughs> Maybe I'll be out of work soon. <laughs> Had to move back to Nashville or Arkansas. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, move back to Arkansas and start making moves. Move back to shine. Nashville and teach some classes at Belmont. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh my gosh. About how it used oh to be. Oh my gosh. Maybe I should get into like, programming AI for me. Yeah, that's the thing. I, I, I've listened to a couple of pro- podcasts like just in other industries. That's um, that's a new job position for a lot of big companies is prompt engineer. Hmm. Like not software yeah. engineer, but you just, you're just you the person who like has to figure out, has to work with chat GPT and, and tell it the right things to get the right products. Yeah. I mean, I see that as being, a, would that would take a lot of skill in the mixing yeah. world for sure. And I... I I kind of compare that to how I kind of see AI like in maybe infiltrating mixing particularly is um, we already have some tools that are relatively like pretty close to AI. I mean, a lot of ozone, a lot of isotope stuff is, um, is like AI driven and um, like waves is starting to roll out some stuff too. Well, whatever, however we feel about waves now. Um, Mm -hmm. But to me, it kind of seems like, another tool that we can use like it's, it's just another tool for humans to use i mean we don't if you think about if you think about mixing digitally like we we don't know how to code we don't know how to write the binary to make it sound like a neve but we know how like to use a neve emulation so mm-hmm. to me that's kind of what ai is is like it's almost an under the hood thing that can power a lot of new tools that mm. like we can use as humans. Yeah. I think I think AI is just going to take over sync. Like I think that's going to be a big place because I mean some of these beats that AI are making like as far as sync and commercials go, like that's exactly <laughs> like some of these instrumentals that they're making are exactly what you'd want a sync song to sound like. The formulaic you know? stuff. Yeah. Yeah. Who it's knows? True. Hopefully, once all the sync stuff gets knocked out, then people will focus on writing real songs. <laughs> hey, sync's where the money is. <laughs> it's true. Um, it's a brave new, brave new world. Um, is it a brave new world? <laughs> maybe a scary, not scary new world. I don't know. Um, is. Maybe to like kind of wrap things up with you because I don't want to keep you too long. If if there, mm-hmm. this is not a light question, so sorry. If if is there. Are there a couple top of mind things that you can think of, and I'm sure this this is a pretty common question, that you would do over, looking back? Um, is there, mm-hmm. in in hindsight, do you have wisdom now that you wish you would have had it in the beginning? Hmm. Yeah, definitely. Um, I think um, there are actually a lot of things. I, I think what we were talking about earlier, I would have moved to Music City mm-hmm. more quickly. Um. I would have invest as in terms of like an investment sort of thing. 
I would have gotten the nicest monitors I could possibly yep. afford as soon as possible. Um, that just changes everything. I would have spent as much, you know, time and effort on treating my room mm -hmm. as possible. Like those, those two things are the most important things you can do as a mix engineer besides learning how to mix. <laughs> right. Have a good room and have good, have great mm -hmm. monitoring. Um, monitoring is great for you, but it also, I mean, having great monitors instills confidence yeah. also in your clients. And uh, that's important. I mean, if you're mixing on the same monitors they're, they've got in their home studio, they're, you know, like, well, are they hearing anything right. that I'm like not me. hearing? But if they like see you've got these incredible monitors, ah, don't worry about it. You're doing fine. Um, so those two things, I would, you know, I moved to Music City earlier, invested as much money as possible yeah. into monitoring. Um, I would, every time, this is kind of a businessy type of thing, but I think um, you can be, I would have been more aggressive about raising mm -hmm. my rates earlier. I think insecurity kept me kind of in a limited mindset and not um, appropriately understanding the worth of my work. Um, and so I would have, I think in a lot of that, you you know, you don't want to raise your rates too fast, too early, but, um, but I find most people short sell themselves for far too long. And um, and so it's kind of just a nuts and bolts thing, and it's not a greed thing. It, it's a you know just valuing right. your work. And it's like they're established norms in the industry, and you don't want to be behind the curve. But so I would have been more aggressive about that. Um, uh, I would uh, as early as possible. I would have learned. I, I think it's important to as early as possible, spend as much time and thought as possible on your workflow and making it as effective as possible. Like, I think there's such a value in mixing quickly, mm -hmm. um, not just to get things in and out of the door quickly. That's not what it's about. You have to always be, for me, like, I have to always be willing to spend an extra day on a mix if the mix yeah. needs it. Um, and, and I do that to this day. Like, there are songs that take me, you know, doesn't doesn't even take me a day to mix it. There are songs then that um, I'm like, well, I don't feel like I've cracked cracked the code on this one. I'm going to spend another full day on it just to get it right. So you've got to have that willingness. But point being, think there is a lot of value in not overthinking and mixing emotionally instead of getting in your head because you can overwork yeah. things. Um, but also like on the workflow side of things, I think if you would look at the time that you spend mixing, you know, let's say you're a person that it takes, uh, you know, 12 hours to mix a song, I would guarantee you that if you were to log every second of that mix, uh, you were about half of the time was, was uh, non-creative yep. work that could be automated or, or uh, workflowed, mm -hmm. if that's a, if that's a workflowed out. Streamlined. Um, and so... Streamlined. That's a great way to say it. And so I think, like, uh, uh, there was a year where I, I just literally every time I saw myself doing a repetitive task in in mixing, I would write it down, and then at the end of the day, I would just be like, "All right, how do I, how do I automate mm -hmm. this task, or how do I make this task? How do I shave two seconds off of this so that every time I do it, I'm sa saving two seconds?" And that stuff adds up very quickly. And the reason I think like 
focusing on your workflow as early as possible is so important because as a mix engineer, you really want to be spending as much time as possible in a creative flow and a creative mindset. And, um, and so I think it's so important to think, how can I remove as many non-creative things as possible from, you know, the, you know, uh, decrease the amount of time spent on those things. So, so workflow is one of them. Uh, trying to think if there's anything else. Maybe I can help you out. What is the like most recent lesson that you have learned? Um, honestly, the most recent lesson that I've learned has been, I feel like I've relearned this several times, but um, just the importance of mixing mm-hmm. emotionally has been like the biggest lesson in the world. And I, I posted something about it. There was a, a track that came out where I got, uh, I sent in the first mix. I was like, yeah, this mix sounds great. I'm so mm-hmm. pumped about it. And the artist was just like, that's yeah, <laughs> just not right. Doesn't, it's not right. And I was like, what? It's like, yeah, that's not the vibe. It's like, oh, dang. And then in the note, like all of his notes were feelings. Like they were feelings and pictures. And I was like, what is yeah. going on here? <laughs> and I was like, this is so weird. And uh, and it just reminded me, I was like, oh my gosh, like that's what m- music's all about. Like he was talking about like, like I don't know, just these... I can't even remember the pictures he was given, but it was just it was just a lot of funny stuff. But it's like it, it was all of these emotions and all of these reactions. Like this is how I want people mm-hmm. to react when they hear this section. This is how I want them to be moving when they hear this section. And I was like, oh man, like that's what this is all about. And it, that's been the biggest lesson for me. Just like zooming out from all the techni- technical technicality, zooming out from the 180 tracks in the session, and being like, all right. What's the tron- song right. trying to say? What's the emotion that's trying to be conveyed? And making that like yeah. prime in mixing. That's so that's the biggest point. thing. Yeah, because because emotions are like universe universally shared responses as opposed to like hearing mm-hmm. a bass that's really loud and being like, oh, I like that in a mix. It's, it's like this mix right. makes yeah. me feel happy, and like if like it's it happiness is a universal feeling. Well, so and that's like, like, and that is the the whole purpose of, yeah. of music the whole purpose of music is is you know an emotional experience and response yeah. but also like the purpose of creating music commercially is for other people to experience it they're not yeah. like the general like population or whatever is not going to be concerned about the sonics as much as like the feeling that they get when they listen to it and 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 having things that they remember about it just like we were talking about Coldplay. I remember that record sounding huge and it like nothing I had ever heard before and it was just the best thing ever and it and it changed my whole like outlook on music. <laughs> and and like now listening mm-hmm. back to it, it's like it wasn't really actually that good. Like the Sonics were like <laughs> yeah. probably could have been better. So funny. You know what song really still holds up? Well, pretty much all, I don't know if you guys know who Eric Valentine is, but mm. I'm like a huge Eric Valentine fanboy. Do you I know who Eric so. Valentine I'm going to probably mention a bunch of bands that you don't <laughs> even know or care about. But uh, he produced, uh, I mean, he produced a, bu- a lot of like early 2000s stuff that was amazing, like Third Eye mm-hmm. Blind and stuff like that. Um, but he also produced uh, Smash no. Mouth, uh, All yeah. Star. And that song is so freaking <laughs> sick. It still sounds so good. I know it's been like a meme right. for years, 
It's a sick song. Also, who thought of that progression? <laughs> so I think to good. our generation, that's the Shrek song. <laughs> yeah. It's the Shrek song. But it's uh, it's so funny listening to it. Like, I've sat down and just like, listened to it before. I was like, with, with a producer's mind on, I'm like, this is actually really yeah. freaking good. <laughs> it's so good. Anyway, you heard it. You heard it here. <laughs> The, that Shrek song. All Star by Smash Mouth is the greatest record ever <laughs> recorded. Greatest song, greatest record <laughs> ever created. Eric Valentine. Look him up. He's okay. a genius. Noted. He's got a great YouTube. He's got a great YouTube channel called Making Records with Eric Valentine. He has one on drum mixing that oh. blew my absolute mind. It's phenomenal. He, for me, defined what, what drums should sound like on a pop record. Or like a pop yeah. alt record, alt pop record. Like growing up, I remember hearing him like, that's what drums mm-hmm. should sound like. And I didn't know anything right. about mixing. And it was so formative for me. It, and what's funny is listening back to it is I, I approach mixing drums very differently, but it's it was kind of like with the Coldplay stuff. Like it was the feeling that those drums right. gave me that yep. I chase in my, in, you know, when, when I'm mixing drums. Yeah, that's a great so, point. So anyway. Well, Matt. Where can we find you on social media? How can how can we how, <laughs> yeah how can question. we discover you? Where are you? Yeah, where are you? Where are you? I'll give you my address. <laughs> um, no, I uh, Matt J Huber H U B E R on ye old Instagram. I I'm on I I've got a uh, TikTok account, but I don't really yeah. post to it because I got it's just overwhelming. Yeah, yeah it's a lot. And I had I had too many people like I don't know it's just it's it's brutal. <laughs> I'm like I don't have time for this. Like why am I why am I being like talked down to by like a 14 year old? <laughs> and kid? you let it happen too. Like, That's the thing to... about those apps is like <laughs> you engage. Yeah, I think well, well maybe uh, it's like oh gosh I guess I should change what I post next time. I'm like wait a second this. <gasps> Like what? Yeah, it's the dumbest <laughs> thing in the world. It's like it yeah. messes with your mind. So, screw <laughs> well, TikTok. what's a mix that you've done that you think defines who you are as a mix engineer? Like, if you were to if you were to have somebody listen to one mix that you've done, ooh, a, a pinnacle mix. Yeah, a pinnacle mix, or maybe just. Uh... I actually think my I, I've got a favorite mix of my entire yeah. career, um, and actually there might be two now. Um, there's a, a a band back from, you know, when I was growing up. You young kids probably don't know about them. They're called yeah. Boys Like Girls. Well, I know. Um, and I, I'm uh, more familiar with the Night Game. Funny enough, the Night Game, right? The front right. man of Boys Like Girls started the Night Game, and now Boys Like Girls got back together. And, and now Boys Like Girls is like Boys Like Girls plus right. the Night Game. <laughs> yeah, kind of sounds. So it's kind of funny, but. There are a couple songs that recently came out, one called Blood and Sugar and one called Language that I think are my favorite mixes I've ever done. Blood and Sugar, I think, is probably my favorite mix I've ever done. So, Well, you got go his Instagram, it. it's, it's you got his one. mix. Go. <laughs> Check it out. Hire it. Yeah. Yeah. Be my friend. <laughs> we all need That's another true. friend. That's so true. That's usually how we end each episode. It's like, please talk to us. We are... Very bored. Just talk to us. We're all, we're all extremely <laughs> lonely. I sit in this this right. this room all day. No one talks to me. They just tell me things they don't like about my work. <laughs> just scrolling on TikTok all day, getting ridiculed by yeah by like 
17 year olds on Gearspace. Yeah, it's a it's a blast, man. <laughs> it's great. Anyway, thanks so oh, much. Thank you for so taking much. time out. Great hanging out with you to guys. Hang out with some youngins. Youngins who don't know who Eric Valentine is. <laughs> you got to learn. Well, I'm sure there are a million people that I don't know that you guys are right obsessed with. Probably so. I don't know. Name a name. So who are you obsessed uh, with that I've never heard of? I am pretty basic. You have people though. Duster. You ever listen to Duster? They're nope. they're a band from the nineties. So their song oh. their song Inside Out is probably my favorite mix of all time right now. But it's like the Ooh. worst mix ever. So I'm gonna listen to it. <laughs> I can't wait. It's four track, mix on four track. It's it's great. Oof. Yeah. Nice. Anyway. Well, yes, great you boys. Love you, miss you. We'll catch up soon. And uh, hopefully I'll make it out there soon, too. Absolutely. Absolutely.